Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode contains distressing themes and is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. On this episode of They Walk Among America, when a child goes missing, time is the most important factor. As each moment passes, the likelihood that the child will be found safe decreases, as does evidence and clues that could have been left behind. When a child is abducted, it is essential to inform as many people as possible in order to recover them safely. In the majority of cases, the child can and will be found safe, but in others, the outcome has tragic and far-reaching consequences. At 3.18 p.m. on January 13, 1996, Arlington police received a call from 78-year-old Jimmy Kevill, a retiree living on Ruth Street for over 50 years. Kevill told the 911 dispatcher that he had just seen a man driving a black pickup truck abduct a little girl off her bicycle close to his house. Arlington police officers arrived at the scene within minutes, and as they retrieved the girl's bike, a man pulled up and told them, That's my granddaughter's bike. Her name was Amber Hagerman. Hello listeners, I'm your host, Nina Instead. Welcome to episode 64, the final episode of season two of They Walk Among America, a joint production between the Law and Crime Podcast Network and They Walk Among Us, the award-winning true crime podcast. Donna Whitson was a young single mother doing her best to provide her children with a stable and loving home. Having left school in the seventh grade, Donna was trying to set an example for her children by returning to education. Her hard work was paying off, especially with her eldest child, nine-year-old Amber. Amber was an A-B honor roll third grade student who adored attending Barry Elementary School. She had a scrapbook where she kept records of her academic achievements, including a Principal's Award for Excellence and perfect attendance certificates. Amber loved each of her 26 Barbies. She also loved Taco Bell, ice cream, and rollerblading. 
She was active in Girl Scouts and had sold over 135 boxes of cookies to raise money for her local group. Her brother, five-year-old Ricky, was a typical little boy who loved playing out with his friends and copying his big sister. Donna had Amber when she was 19 years old. She had separated from Amber and Ricky's father, 45-year-old Richard Hagerman, in 1995 when the relationship became volatile. Donna and the kids lived in an apartment on the 800 block of Timberlake Circle in Arlington, Texas. In late 1995, Donna and the children had spent almost two months with a film crew for a WFAA-TV documentary about people who had successfully gotten off welfare. Donna was followed by the camera crew as she began further education to become a medical assistant and volunteered at the Texas Department of Human Resources office in Tarrant County. Life was turning around for the young family, and Donna hoped their situation would only continue to improve. On January 13, 1996, Donna brought Amber and Ricky to visit her parents in the nearby area of Highland Drive. They had spent many days at their grandparents, Glenda and Jimmy Whitson's home. And on this occasion, the siblings asked if they could ride their bikes around the block. Donna had pedaled along the same streets as a child and felt that the neighborhood was safe enough, but she told the children to stay together and to stay on the block. Amber and Ricky enthusiastically agreed and rushed out the door to jump on their bikes. Amber's pink and white bike sped past her younger sibling's bike as they did laps of the street. But eventually, they tired of the same sights and decided to push the limit a little bit, as all children do. They continued down the street to an abandoned Winn-Dixie grocery store, two blocks from their grandparents' home. The empty lot on Abrams Street and Browning Drive had plenty of space for the pair to race and practice their tricks. When the property was a grocery store, delivery vehicles were used to bring supplies into the parking lot, and a concrete ramp was employed to drop the items at the store. The ramp was enticing to Amber and Ricky, and they had fun riding up and down. After a couple of minutes, five-year-old Ricky started to feel anxious about going against what they had promised their mother, so he told Amber that he was going back. Amber was set on hanging around for a little while longer, so she didn't pay much attention to Ricky as he pedaled as hard as he could in the direction of their grandparents' house. When Ricky rushed inside to tell his mother where they'd been, he was asked where Amber was, and when he said that she had stayed at the Windexie, his grandfather grabbed his car keys. Jimmy Whitson didn't feel comfortable knowing that the children had split up, so he brought Ricky, got into his truck, and drove down the street to meet them. It had been less than eight minutes since Amber had left the house. When Jimmy got to the empty store lot, Amber was gone, and police officers were beginning to gather by her discarded pink bike lying on the ground. Seventy-eight-year-old Jimmy Kevill had been in his garden across from the Winn-Dixie lot when he heard a young girl screaming. He looked up to see a Caucasian or Hispanic male in his mid-twenties in a dark-colored pickup truck stop next to where Amber had been cycling her bike. Jimmy Kevill said, He jumped out and grabbed her off her bicycle. When I heard her scream, I knew something was wrong. She screamed and was kicking. He pushed her in the cab and they took off. 
I didn't realize what was going on at the time. When she screamed, I figured the police ought to know about it, so I called them. I wish I had known more. I'd done all I could do. I hope they find that little girl. Amber had been pulled off her bicycle by the man. She had desperately tried to break free from his arms by kicking and screaming at him, but she was forced into the late model pickup truck, which drove off in a westerly direction. The four-foot, six-inch, nine-year-old was described as having brown hair and a ponytail and blue eyes. She was last seen wearing a Camp Heart t-shirt with a pattern design of multicolored handprints on it, pink jeans, and brown shoes. Jimmy Kevill described Amber's abductor as a white or Hispanic male in his 20s or 30s. He was less than six feet tall with a medium build and dark hair. The vehicle was described as a 1980s or 1990s black fleet-size pickup truck with a single cab and a short wheelbase. There didn't appear to be any damage, modifications, or chrome on the vehicle, and no tinted or sliding glass on the rear. Arlington police officers immediately pursued the vehicle Jimmy Kevill had seen and notified neighboring cities about the abduction. Amber's details were submitted into the National Missing Persons Database, and flyers were printed and distributed within hours. That night, Amber's parents, Richard Hagerman and Donna Whitson, made a televised appeal asking for Amber's safe return. Through tears, Donna begged, Please don't hurt my baby. She's just an innocent child. Please, please bring her home safe. Please, I know you're scared. I'm scared too. A special police hotline was set up to receive tips. Richard asked that anyone with information could call and tell the investigators. This wasn't the first time Richard had been impacted by a child abduction in his family. His other daughter, Tammy, had her two-day-old baby girl taken by a woman posing as a hospital photographer four years earlier in July 1991. Baby Felicia was taken from the hospital room by the woman who claimed she was taking the baby to do studio photographs. Thankfully, police received a tip around 11 hours later that led them to an Arlington apartment complex, where they found baby Felicia unharmed with the woman who had abducted her, Sandra May Eagle. Eagle had faked a pregnancy and intended on raising Felicia herself. She was placed in a psychiatric unit following the abduction and cleared of any involvement in Amber's kidnapping, but the incident played on Richard's mind. He told reporters, That's the first thing that went through my mind. Here we go again. Here we go again. I still can't believe it. It's the worst luck possible. I hope this one turns out positive too. This is my blood right here, my life. Searches for Amber were conducted across the downtown and West Arlington area, and teams of police officers and locals spent hours passing out flyers and scouring fields and alleyways for the missing nine-year-old girl. One search party member, Manuel Garcia, said at the time, it's like searching for a needle in a haystack. She could be anywhere. Amber's grandparents' home became the headquarters for the search effort, and their neighbor, Greg Hornback, went in a small plane to do an aerial search of the Joe Pool Lake, Lake Arlington, and the Trinity River areas. Door-to-door -door canvases were conducted as officers questioned neighbors and locals close to the abduction site, 
and in the area where Amber lived with her mother and brother. Officers also took some of Amber's clothes and her Pocahontas bedspread to aid the investigation. As with most missing children cases, the first people that need to be investigated are the parents. Police knew that Amber had been abducted, so it was merely a matter of procedure to speak with Donna and Richard. They also questioned a family friend, Mike Thompson, who drove a black pickup truck. Richard had been living with Mike Thompson for the previous year after separating from Donna. All three consented to polygraph examinations. Arlington Police Spokesman D. Anderson said, We're not focusing on these people as suspects. We just need a lot of information from them. Polygraphs are tools we routinely use in these investigations, and we routinely give them out. They were asked if they had any involvement in Amber's kidnapping, and they passed. Mike Thompson spoke about being questioned along with Amber's parents and said, We don't feel like we're being accused or picked on or anything. I understand what they're doing, and Richard and Donna understand what they're doing. There's a lot of people out there who have killed their children. I'm like, give it to us so you can quit the investigation focusing here and get your interviews out there. Police Chief David Kunkel said that the investigative team consisted of eight Arlington detectives and eight FBI agents who were being assisted by state prison officials in order to go through the records relating to recently released sex offenders in the area. Chief Kunkel said they had around 100 leads they needed to work on, and because there was no ransom call, they were focusing on a sexually motivated offender. At an Arlington City Council meeting during the first few days of the investigation, he said, That's one of the areas we're spending a great amount of our time in the absence of any other possible circumstances. We are continuing to look at friends and acquaintances and everything else, but we're spending a great deal of time on sexual offenders. Donna held a vigil in her parents' front yard, anxiously awaiting a call to say that her daughter had been found. The Whitsons' home was used as a base for the family and searchers, and the once quiet street was constantly lined with police vehicles and media trucks. Donna remained hopeful as the search entered the third day and spoke about reuniting with Amber. She said, I won't be letting her out of my sight. She's going to be sleeping with me and everything. A 911 call was received at the Arlington Emergency Dispatch Center just after 8 p.m. that night. The mail caller said that he had a vision about where Amber could be found. He refused to identify himself and said that he had never been in the area but gave a detailed description of where he believed that Amber was. As a result, the police began searching the northwest section of Vandergriff Park in South Arlington. A search helicopter illuminated the park with a spotlight as police and volunteers, aided by sniffer dogs, combed through the 84-acre park in search of Amber. Investigators had to follow every lead equally, because there was no way to determine who was giving genuine information and who had bad intentions. Richard and Donna continued to appeal to the public and Amber's abductor as the days passed without any progress in the case. Richard said, Now all we can do is wait. I couldn't believe it Saturday. I knew it had happened, but I simply couldn't believe it, that something like this could happen twice but it sank in and started hitting me hard yesterday. 
And today, it's terrible. It's the waiting that's so hard. Waiting and knowing there's nothing else you can do. Whatever it takes to go nationwide, will do. Somebody has got to have seen something. Donna tried her best to hold on to the hope that Amber was still out there. She said, I know she's okay because she's a fighter. I think the person who has her is just holding her and won't let her go. I'm pleading with the man. Just let my daughter go and she can find her way to the place she needs to go. Just drop her off. Let her walk home by herself. Just don't hurt my baby. Donna and Richard also met Jimmy Kevill the only witness to the abduction. Jimmy had felt helplessness and guilt, even though he had called the police immediately. He tried to hold back tears as he told Donna that he couldn't do anything to save Amber. Donna thanked him and told him that he did great. Jimmy had been asked to undergo hypnosis to try and strengthen his memory of the abduction, but he declined. He explained his reasoning and said, I don't believe you ought to fool with your brain. I don't think I could tell them a bit more other than that I already have. In an effort to gather more information, the vice president of public relations for Pizza Hut said they would be putting Amber's photo on delivery boxes throughout the neighboring counties. A local Dallas business, Shep's Dairy, and Arlington's KRLD News Radio were also offering a $15,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and indictment of Amber's kidnapper. When classes resumed at Barry Elementary School on January 16th, a large plant wrapped in a yellow bow filled Amber's place in Ms. Walters' third-grade classroom. Ms. Walters told the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, It was tough this morning. We didn't want her chair to be empty. Amber's 16 classmates were finding it hard to grasp the fact that their friend had been snatched off her bike by a stranger. Ms. Walters said, They miss Amber, and they want her to come home. I want her to come home and come back to school. Any teacher would love to have Amber in her class. The teacher said that Amber was a quiet and hardworking student whose presence was already missed. Parents in the area no longer felt comfortable allowing their children to make the short journey to school without adult supervision. Dana Newton, whose eight- and five-year-old sons attended the school, said, We can't take our kids for granted and that they'll come home safely. The search continued along Abrams Street that day and into a wooded area in southeast Arlington. Bloodhounds attempted to pick up a scent, but it was another fruitless search. By Wednesday morning, the fourth day of the investigation, the number of FBI agents involved increased to 17. Lead investigator, Arlington Detective Jim Ford, said that the FBI had installed a computer program at the Arlington Police Headquarters to keep track of the numerous leads that were coming in. As the media swarmed outside of Amber's grandparents' home, the San Antonio-based Heidi Search Center offered assistance in coordinating efforts to find Amber. Detectives focused on interviewing and locating known sexual offenders while search efforts continued in Veterans Park. The abandoned lot where Amber was abducted from had been adorned with pink balloons and bows, as had many of the houses along the route she took on the day she was kidnapped. The reward offered for information increased to $45,000 after an anonymous Bank One customer promised to give $20,000. 
Donna had barely slept since Amber was taken. She bravely faced the crowds of reporters to continuously appeal for help. She told stories about her firstborn child whose bond she likened to sisters. Donna said, We do homework together. We do makeup together. We do hair together. Richard spoke about how he had stopped drinking and looked forward to seeing his children on the weekends. Describing Amber, he stated, She's a daddy's girl. She's still a nine-year-old. She has a temper. She might have got that from me. Donna found comfort in the fact that Amber had been wearing one of her own bows in her hair on the day she went missing. She said, At least she has a little part of mommy with her. She can touch her little hair bow and think, That's part of mommy. It was cold that night, January 17, 1996, and Stuart Ketcher was walking the family dog, Yoda, along a creek that ran on the west side of the Forest Ridge Apartments at 1908 Forest Hollow Lane. Heavy rainfall had filled the creek and raised the water level, and as Stuart glanced down into the water, he recoiled in horror. It was close to midnight, and Stuart had stumbled across the body of a little girl, she was face down in the creek, wearing nothing but a red sock on her right foot. His wife Edie later said, He came running into the house saying, I found her, I found her, I found her in the creek. He was just screaming and having dry heaves and then he threw up. He went next door and asked a neighbor to go out there and verify it with him. That's when they called the police. It was a disturbing coincidence for Edie Ketcher whose own sister had been abducted and murdered in Mississippi 14 years earlier. Edie had made a memorial site along the creek to remember her sister. She said, Two years later, there's a body by the gravesite I made for her. Police vehicles and fire trucks soon filled the apartment's parking lot, and investigators cordoned off the scene by the creek. By the early hours of the following morning, the body of the little girl was transported to the Tarrant County Medical Examiner's Office for a post-mortem examination. The area was four miles southwest of where Amber's grandparents lived. As media speculation began to swirl, the police notified Amber's parents that the body was likely that of their daughter. Richard Hagerman was in disbelief. He said, They just told us not to jump to conclusions. I'm not believing it until I see my little girl. I've got to see my little girl. Using a thumbprint identification card and birthmarks, the medical examiner was able to determine that it was Amber Hagerman's remains. Amber's body was badly bruised and swollen. She had been stabbed multiple times, and her throat had been slit with such force that she was almost decapitated. The autopsy showed that Amber had likely been kept alive for two days, and had been dead for around 48 hours by the time her body was found. It was also likely that she had been sexually assaulted. Although DNA evidence was found, the condition of her remains and the location in which she had been found caused the evidence to degrade significantly. Against the advice of investigators, Donna Whitson wanted to see her daughter one last time. She later said, all I was able to do was hold her little hands and touch her little face and kiss her on her lips. I told her everything was going to be okay because mommy found you. It was a devastating conclusion to the search for Amber, and police immediately launched a homicide investigation. 
Among those struggling to come to terms with what had happened were Amber's young classmates at Barry Elementary School, who were receiving counseling and wrote letters of support to Amber's parents. Locals made their way to the former Winn-Dixie store where Amber had been abducted from to leave flowers, teddy bears, and pink balloons in her memory. Two workers from a local company visited the site on their lunch break. Secretary Teresa Petty said, I couldn't quit thinking about her. People bring bears because when little kids get scared at night, they want a teddy bear. It's comforting and safe. Her colleague, Dorothy Eubanks, expressed the collective anger felt by many in the community. Speaking about Amber's killer, she said, When they find him, they should cut his throat like he did hers. Amber's funeral service was held in the First United Methodist Church on January 20th. Her family had visited her in the funeral home before the mourners gathered at the church. Glenda Whitson told reporters about the last thing she had said to her granddaughter. I told her that Grandma loves her and that I was going to be with her soon. Amber was dressed in a pink dress and had a teddy bear placed in the light blue casket with her. Donna said that Amber looked like a princess in her new dress and spoke about the indescribable pain she felt at the loss of her daughter. Donna said, I'm sad, hurt, angry, lonely. My little girl is gone and it hurts. But I know she's in heaven now and she's not hurting anymore and I shouldn't be scared. Donna channeled her rage into trying to prevent the same thing from happening to other children. She called for change and said, These bastards out here that are doing these things to these children, they either need to be locked up for life or be killed. Hundreds of people packed the church when the funeral service began. Among the mourners were Amber's friends and classmates, as well as Donna's classmates from the technical school, and strangers who had been touched by the tragedy. The pastor remarked, She has become not only a child of Richard and Donna's, but a child of a grieving nation. Amber was laid to rest in Moore Memorial Gardens as pink and white balloons were released. Her great-aunt, Kay Broyles, believed that Amber's death had meaning. She said, What we're wanting is that Amber not die in vain. We're wanting that Amber's memory lives on, and she can forge a path for other children so they don't have to go through the same thing. We do have closure, and that's helping. Now, we just want justice. Speaking at a news conference held at police headquarters, police spokesman D. Anderson said that the investigators were optimistic about finding the person responsible. He said, We just feel strongly with the national attention. The person can't hide forever. Someone knows who he is. And if they don't know who he is now, they'll know who he is shortly. This isn't just Dallas-Fort Worth looking for this person. There's a nation looking for this person and we feel there's not a place left for this person to hide. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Investigators had canvassed the apartment building close to where Amber had been found dead and reviewed surveillance footage from the entrance gate. But storms on the day Amber was found had caused power outages, leaving gaps in the tape. Police believed that Amber's body had been washed downstream by the torrential rainfall. They were trying to determine where her body had been dumped. A task force was quickly established to focus solely on the murder case, with almost 30 FBI agents assisting 20 Arlington detectives, Texas Rangers, and Tarrant County Sheriff's deputies. Reward funds totaled over $150,000 and Amber's family asked that anyone who wished to donate would instead direct the funds to an account in trust in Amber's name or to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Within days of Amber's funeral, her parents began to lobby for change and called for tougher laws governing sex offenders. They soon established a group called People Against Sex Offenders, or PASO, with whom they gathered signatures on petitions in hopes that more stringent laws would be implemented to protect children. Fear had engulfed the area, and parents no longer felt safe allowing their children outside. Donna said, It's a shame that you have to put your children in prison and let the bad man run free. We're going to stand up for our rights and our children's rights. By January 25th, over 1,000 leads had been developed, and investigators were working around the clock to follow every line of inquiry. Sergeant Rick Tice said at the time, The difference between this murder and any other is the number of leads and all the people calling in. It's much greater, and it's taking greater manpower to run down the leads. It's a matter of doing the regular grunt work. There's been so many leads. It's just a matter of methodically going through the information that comes in. A lot of it is process of elimination. There are volumes and volumes of information coming in. Stuart Ketcher, the man who found Amber's body close to his apartment building, was overcome with emotion and trauma following the discovery. Unable to move past it, he wrote a letter that he distributed around Arlington in the hopes that Amber's killer would read it. He wrote, Has the newest angel in heaven started to haunt you yet? She will, soon. She was such a good and beautiful child, and you are so evil and ugly, it only stands to reason that your days are numbered. At a press conference held on January 30th, a profile of the killer composed by FBI agents from the Child Abduction and Serial Killer Unit in Quantico, Virginia, was released to the public. The psychological analysts believed that the suspect was a white or Hispanic male, aged over 25, 
who either lived in the Arlington area or was familiar with it. They said he likely had difficulty handling stress and often carried a knife. They asked the public to report any suspicions, especially if it involved someone who had a stressful conflict prior to the abduction, such as a job loss, argument, or breakup. The revelation that Amber had been kept alive for two days after her abduction was horrifying for many who wondered what she went through. Her father, Richard, explained that he believed Amber would have fought her killer for those two days. He said, She had a temper, unless she was drugged or something. There's not any way that she would have let him do something to her. In an effort to locate the killer, a video about the case was produced and shown to inmates in Dallas County Jail. Amber's autopsy report was completed in February 1996 by Chief Deputy Medical Examiner Dr. Mark Krause. Dr. Krause said the running creek water had potentially washed away valuable evidence, but they had been able to recover some fibers and potential DNA evidence. Her cause of death was determined to have been incised wounds, in particular, five knife wounds to the neck, including an eight-inch cut across her throat. On Valentine's Day, a candlelit vigil was held at the abduction site, and Amber's parents thanked the 200-strong crowd for their support. Donna said that Amber always made hearts for Valentine's Day, and she would treasure them forever. She told those in attendance, I'm one of those moms that keeps everything. I've got every tooth that she's lost. I keep everything of Amber's, and I thank God I did that, and I have that to remember her by. She was my life. My children were my life, and now I'm just half. Half of my life is gone. Half of my world is gone because my little girl is gone. Many of the people at the vigil wore t-shirts with Amber's photograph on it, and the words, Arlington's Little Angel. Donna and Richard had been busy pushing for legislative change, and they asked others to do the same and contact their local representatives. Donna's voice cracked with emotion as she told the crowd, We can't save Amber. We can save her friends and her little brother. Please keep fighting. This is election year. Write them and tell them what you want done and they will do it. If they don't want to do it, they're out. That's it. Period. A new playground at Barry Elementary was opened in the weeks that followed, and Amber's name would be commemorated on a memorial plaque. Tragedy struck Donna Whitson again less than two months after Amber's murder, when her fiancé, Marion Lake, was killed in a car crash. Throughout the continued heartache, Donna held firm in her drive to implement change. In April 1996, the Amber Hagerman Child Protection Act bill was introduced in Congress. The proposal would aim to toughen criminal penalties against violent child sex offenders. While the shrine erected at the Winn-Dixie lot had to be dismantled as the owners planned to sell the property, people continued to show their support for Arlington's Little Angel. An amendment to the anti-crime bill was passed that would see child sex offenders convicted of repeat offenses sent to prison for life as part of a two-strike provision. Meanwhile, Amber's younger brother, Ricky, was struggling to deal with his sister's murder. He blamed himself for leaving Amber on the day she was taken. And, at just five years old, he felt responsible for her death. Megan's Law, a piece of legislation that required public notifications when a sex offender moved into an area, 
was enacted in May 1996, and it gave Amber's mother hope that things would improve. Along with Ashley's law, the collection of child protective bills offered more security to children in communities where sex offenders were located. Arlington police began issuing notifications about sex offenders after the bill was implemented. In June of 1996, Amber's parents met with Congress and asked them to establish a national database for sex offenders. Richard Hagerman told the House Judiciary Subcommittee on Crime, It seems to me that if Federal Express can track a package all over the world, we should be able to track a convicted sex offender across state lines. The investigation into Amber's murder was quieting down, and leads were slowing. The task force of 12 detectives, one sergeant, a Tarrant County Sheriff's deputy, and FBI assistants had investigated over 5,000 leads in the first year and a half, but they were no closer to finding Amber's killer. They urged witnesses to come forward and told them that deportation fears would not be a barrier to reporting any sightings, as they would ensure the immigration officials would not get involved. In October 1996, over 20 Arlington radio stations collaborated with North Texas law enforcement agencies to broadcast emergency bulletins regarding child abductions. The procedure was called Amber's Plan. The idea was born when a local mother, Deanna Simone, called into KDMX radio station and spoke about how she thought that similar alerts to dangerous weather alerts could be used when a child is abducted. The Dallas Amber Plan proved life-saving after just 16 months when it was used to inform the public of the abduction of an eight-week-old by a babysitter. The baby, Rayleigh Bradbury, was safely returned to her parents just 90 minutes later. Over time, the Amber Plan was modified to ensure it was used correctly. Certain criteria were in place, which meant it could only be used in cases where the child was under the age of 18, and police had confirmed an abduction had taken place where there was reason to believe the child was in danger. The AMBER Alert, which is an acronym for America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response, was created as Amber Hagerman's legacy. The official program was created in 2000, and at that time, around 240 children had been rescued or released from abductors. In 2002, highways began displaying amber alerts on digital billboards. Since then, it has evolved to interrupt television broadcasts and even appear as a notification on cellular phones. In 2003, then-President George W. Bush signed the Early Warning System into law under the Prosecutorial Remedies and Other Tools to End the Exploitation of Children Act today, known as PROTECT. It works to prevent child abduction and to prevent the sexual exploitation of children. According to a best practices document on amberadvocate.org, the act serves to comprehensively strengthen law enforcement's ability to prevent, investigate, prosecute, and punish violent crimes against children. It reinforces the need for every state to have a plan to notify the public and law enforcement of child abductions and to coordinate search efforts for missing children. It provides funding and resources to encourage states to implement strategies that would streamline the approach to recovering missing and abducted children, 
and creates a level of national leadership by designating the Assistant Attorney General of the Office of Justice Programs to serve as the National Amber Alert Coordinator to assist states in the development of those plans. Donna busied herself assisting other families of missing or murdered children and trying to help her son come to terms with what had happened to Amber. She decided to return to vocational school to complete her studies in the medical assistant course she'd been doing. She said, It was hard for me to go back to school. I didn't want to. I would have rather laid down and died. But I stopped and thought that Amber always thought it was neat that I was back in school. Although investigators continued to follow leads in Amber's murder case, they were unable to find her killer, but the case remained with those involved. As Chief David Kunkel said, There is a legacy of unsolved crimes that I remember since I've been chief here. There are certain crimes where we lose our innocence, and Amber's abduction was one of those. At a press conference to mark the 25th anniversary of Amber's abduction, investigators spoke about the case. They appealed for anyone with information to help them finally solve the murder. Assistant Chief Kevin Colby said, Our resolve to solve this case, to bring this suspect to justice, has not wavered. Through the years, we have remained committed to look for new technologies that may assist us in this case. Technology has progressed over the past two decades since the abduction took place, and we have plans to submit items of evidence and attempt to obtain a DNA profile. I do not want to provide false hope because we have limited evidence in this case. However, we will not rest until we get this guy of what he did to Amber. Amber's legacy continues to live throughout the robust and highly successful Amber Alert program. Credited with over a thousand successful recoveries, you can see how important this is for the public to take these alerts serious. I have authorized and established a new tip line, 817-575-8823. Oak Farms Dairy has renewed a $10,000 reward for any information to help us in this case. Our hope is that someone in the community saw something. Maybe they didn't come forward 25 years ago out of fear or not wanting to get involved. Whatever reason, we need folks to search their minds and bring forward anything that may be valued to our investigation. Oftentimes in cases like Amber, it only takes a small tip, a small lead to break a case wide open. Come forward and do the right thing for her family. Do it for our community. Do it for our employees who are out there and haunted by this case. Most importantly, do it for Amber. My message to the killer, there has been many high profile media events and programs highlighting Amber's case over the years. I have no doubt that you have seen them, that you've heard them, and you have seen the pain that you have caused this family and our community. Have the guts to come forward and admit your involvement so we can finally provide some closure to this community and family. Ben Lopez, who led the investigation between 2010 and 2018, said, The original task force investigated and cleared over 5,500 leads. One of the things that we looked at at that time was, is it possible that there were other witnesses who saw what happened, but were fearful about coming forward? 
with it being a Saturday afternoon that was nice and the laundromat being right next door to the abduction, we were concerned that there could be people that were there at the laundromat who may have been undocumented and living in this country illegally. And we spent a lot of time putting out flyers and talking to the community to assure them that if there is a witness or witnesses who have that concern, we are not interested at all in pursuing any kind of deportation or any interest in their undocumented status. We would just ask that anybody with information come forward. Donna said, Hi, I just wanted to let everyone know about my daughter, Amber. She was just nine years old. She loved school. She loved riding her bicycle. She loved being a little mommy to her little brother, Ricky. I miss her every day, and she's just so full of life. And I want to know why. Why her? She was only a little girl. And to Amber's killer, I'm asking you today, please turn yourself in. Give Amber justice. Amber needs justice. Deeply, deeply needs justice. And to anyone who has seen or heard anything about Amber's case, please come forward. Thank you. The investigators spoke about the evidence in the case and their hopes that advancements in forensic technology would help them solve it. And so the question, if you didn't hear, was more about the evidence. Well, I will tell you that the condition that we found, Amber, uh, it, it, was, uh, it, was, it was difficult to collect some evidence, and it made it very difficult for us a case. I will tell you that we do have some evidence, and I really don't want to disclose all the evidence at this time. The reason is, is that we want to make sure that the killer knows what happened. And he knows that if we have that evidence, we can specifically ask him and it can, can identify him and corroborate his story. Technology from DNA has progressed since the 80s and the 90s. And we're very excited because we continually try to be aggressive and trying to uh, meet new technology head on with this case. And we're excited because this year there is new technology when it comes to DNA. And we're excited about this year being able to submit that and hope that we can get a better DNA profile on the killer. Donna also spoke about Amber's legacy. Um, the Amber Alert, I'm very, very proud of it because it is saving, help saving our children's lives. It's helped bringing our children back to mommy and daddy. And uh, so it's, it's another legacy for my daughter that she didn't die in vain, that she is still taking care of our little children as she did when she was here. And I'm very, very proud of my daughter and for all she has done for our children here. Me and Amber's family, we were desperately wanting closure. It would not make my heart feel any better because my heart breaks every day for her because I do, do miss her a lot. And I do want justice for Amber. And we do want closure for her. We want justice. Over 1,000 children have been found in the United States as a direct result of Amber Alerts. It has also prompted similar alerts worldwide. Each successful rescue gives some comfort for Amber Hagerman's family, who continue to hope that she will one day get justice. Her mother, Donna, said, When I hear the Amber Alert and I hear a child is back reunited to their parents, you know I look up to heaven and say, You did it again, baby girl. 
This episode was researched and written by Eileen McFarlane. Editing and scoring by Corey Hiltman. Script editing, additional writing, and production direction by Rosanna and Benjamin Fitton. For more on our series and notes on this episode, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. And for more on the Law & Crime Podcast Network, please visit lawandcrime.com slash podcasts. This has been They Walk Among America. We will return for Season 3 on Tuesday, May 4th. Thank you for listening, and please be safe. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.